What is up, guys? And welcome to Montreal Madness with your host, Tony Montreal. So COVID, COVID, and more COVID. That has been the theme surrounding the NFL for the past two weeks or so, when obviously we've already had the postponement of the Steelers-Titans game from last week. You had the Patriots in Kansas City game uh, move back to uh, this past Monday night. And now we're in jeopardy of seeing another postponed game um, between the Bills and the Titans because a few more Titans players were tested positive earlier this week. And then the New England game is in jeopardy for this week as well because not only did Cam Newton test positive for it, Last week, now uh, star defensive back for their team, Stefan Gilmore, got tested positive as well. So we've have we have had multiple games either getting postponed or moved, and it looks like it's going to be the same for this week as well. And for the life of me, like the NFL is just acting like they never had a plan or a structure to begin with before the season started in case situations uh, like this arise. You know, like, sure, you know, you can postpone the, you know, the Steelers-Titans game and move it to week seven, you know, eliminate Baltimore's bye, you know, have their bye a week ahead of time, uh, earlier than scheduled, and reschedule that game, and so on and so forth. But the league right now is in dire jeopardy of having the Bills-Titans game possibly being postponed to all the Titans players being tested positive again. So there, that's just more rescheduling. It's going to affect other teams that had nothing to do with the Titans situation as well. And, you know, the NFL, their last season ended in February, one month before all this COVID shit um, started and everything here, here in the United States. So they had plenty of time, you know, an ample amount of time to come up with a structure and a plan to avoid all this mess and to avoid this, you know, game of chance that essentially the NFL is playing right now to where it's just it's just a guess as to, you know, if the games will be played and when they will be played. And I know as of right now, there's a lot of talks and rumblings and rumors going around circulating around the NFL about teams happening to forfeit uh, their games you know, if they can't play due to COVID, you know, the Tennessee Titans, for example, you know, it was never investigated how the Titans players uh, got tested positive with their uh, week four matchup against the Steelers. But then we found out just a couple of days ago that after during the Titans rescheduled by week in week four, whenever they weren't supposed to be practicing and social distancing themselves and quarantining themselves, they actually held a private practice at a local high school near the stadium where they play at. Now, that is a direct violation of all the protocols that the NFL has implemented due to COVID-19. So how the NFL does their investigation upon this and what they do as far as penalties and punishments go, I mean, that's up in the air. Now, me personally, the last thing I want to see is a team forfeit you know, because of COVID, because unless there's, unless it's a hundred percent true that every single member of the Titans organization violated protocol and all this other stuff, I, I don't know if you jeopardize the whole team based on the actions of just a, a handful of players. So I don't know how you go about that. I don't want to see teams forfeiting because of that. However, though, if it is true and it is deemed 100% fact 
that these Titans play players, and it was a lot of them, don't get me wrong, it was a lot of them that did this, went to that high school for a private practice when they weren't supposed to be, then, you know, I could see them possibly forfeiting their game against the Bills because it, that happened during this week. I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday. And it's not like the players who did this, you know, were ignorant and didn't know. They full well known that they weren't supposed to be doing this and they did it anyway. So, yes, I believe the Titans should be punished in some sort of fashion, but I don't believe forfeiting is the right call. And speaking of forfeiting games, now it has come out where if a team or uh, does have to forfeit, you know, obviously whoever they're playing against, the opposing team won't play either. Apparently, if you don't play in a game that is being forfeited or whatever, then the players don't get paid at all, which to me is kind of bullshit as well. You know, the players, especially for the opposing team, they can't help it if this team got COVID, whether they you know went out to the clubs or the bars or the restaurants or whatever, or whether they did practice quarantining and social distancing. You know, it wasn't the opponent's team's fault, but they're they're having to suffer too because they're they won't they won't uh, essentially get paid. Um, so I'm, I believe the NFLPA is going to do everything in their power to reschedule the games as best as possible, whether that means extending the regular season a few weeks, uh, you know, getting rid of the Pro Bowl game that's in between the uh, conference championship games and the Super Bowl, whether they get rid of that and extend the playoffs a little bit further and have the Super Bowl maybe in late February, early in March. Who knows what the hell is going to happen between now and February. But I do believe the Titans should have to suffer some consequences I just don't believe forfeiting is the right way to go because of that. And another idea that's being floated around out there is that just canceling the games altogether. You know, let's say the Titans and Bills game gets postponed and they can't make it up. In order to make the playoffs, um, therefore, it's going to be based by win percentage and not total number of wins. So let's say the Titans only play, you know, 13, 14 games and they only win eight or nine, but they will most likely get into the playoffs because of win percentage. And that's what the playoffs, um, that's how you'll get into the playoffs is by win percentage. And that's how you'll be seeded uh, through win percentages in case a team can only play, you know, 13 to 14 games compared to a regular team that has to play a full 16 game schedule where nothing um, COVID related happened to them to stop them from playing. So that's another idea being floated around. But I tell you what, I think I have the right plan and the right solution for all of this because I came up with this in my head a couple of days ago. I've been structuring this in my head. I've written some stuff down and I think I figured it out, folks. And it is pretty simple and easy if you don't mind me saying. So here's how it goes. So since we're only a quarter of the way through the season, I would expand the regular season from 17 weeks to 21 weeks. So that right there gives the NFL an additional four weeks to work with as far as rescheduling games that have been postponed um, throughout the season. Another change I would make during the regular season is to give each team two bye weeks uh, during the regular season. You know, with expanding the regular season to 21 weeks, you can afford to give uh, teams two separate bye weeks, and then that eliminates the competitive disadvantage for a team, let's say, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Steelers who got freaking screwed um, out of their bye week having to use it in week four 
and therefore having to go 13 straight weeks without a bye to finish off the regular season. So that takes care of that as well. In addition to the four extra weeks that the NFL would have to reschedule postponed games, having teams get two separate buys now gives you another advantage to rescheduling games even during bye weeks. Now, the only slight disadvantage I can see with the plan that I'm coming up here with is that playoff teams could potentially have three weeks rest going into the playoffs if they happen to get that number one seed and first round by to go along with that. And another item that I would implement as well is having the postseason being played every other week. Now, I know that sort of uh, nelegates the number one seed having the bye week. But if you go back, you know, having a 21 uh, week schedule, you'll have plenty of opportune time to rest your players and to rest your veterans. Whether you did complete your 16 game schedule in 18 weeks with this proposed plan that I have there, you have two weeks to rest your players and get ready for the playoffs regardless. And even if you were a team that had to postpone a game and make it up later in the year, you still have had two weeks throughout the year to rest your players and your veterans and that sort of thing. But I just think that um, having the postseason being played every other week gives teams ample amounts of time to, let's say they have a player or two tested positive. There, you know, you don't have to postpone a playoff game and then you can quarantine those players that got tested for it. You quarantine them away from the players that are, that are negative and make sure they're good and ready for the following week to play. So that you know levels the playing field a little bit, I feel like, for every team and to where they won't be uh, scrambling and scrapping to reschedule a freaking playoff game. So I feel like that settles basically all that headache that the NFL is dealing with right now. I mean, yes, it's not going to be your typical regular NFL season, but this isn't your typical year in general. You know, every other sport has made some sort of changes to their um, playoff schedule or their regular season schedule or what have you. So why can't the NFL do the same? You know, this is a special year. This is essentially a one year, a one year off. And, you know, you just have to make the best of it and go on through your season as normal, as normal as possible, all the while knowing that your season isn't normal, but you just have to deal with it. And as long as it doesn't mess up the integrity of the game, which, you know, expanding the playoffs in the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB, I don't think it's ruined the integrity of the game. And I don't think having a 60-game regular season in baseball hurt the integrity of baseball as well. So, you know, the NFL, they're going to have to make calls. They're going to have to make changes to get this season in, in full, but I just really think that expanding the regular season to 21 weeks and having the playoffs being played every other week, I think makes everything as fair as it's going to get and that it gives the NFL leeway and time to reschedule teams and to not go into having a team forfeit or even having playoff teams get into the postseason by win percentages. So it's, you know, not normal but it's keeping everything as normal as possible without hurting the integrity of the league. But if anything is hurting the integrity of the league right now, it has to be this NFC East division with the Philadelphia Eagles currently having a 1-2-1 and one record. And they are facing the AFC North leaders in the division, the 3-0 Pittsburgh Steelers, on Sunday at 1 o'clock on Fox. Now, on paper... 
the Steelers are clearly the more dominant team in this matchup. I mean, everybody but Jason Kelsey on the Eagles offensive line has missed at least one game so far this year. Their top two wide receivers, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, they've missed a lot of playing time this year so far, and their status for this Sunday's game is still up in the air, with Deshaun Jackson most likely going to be out, and then Alshon Jeffrey, sort of a 50-50 chance that he'll be playing. But even with a healthy Eagles lineup, the Steelers are still the more dominant team going into this matchup. I mean, you have Big Ben in there, future Hall of Fame quarterback, probably one of the deepest wide receiver cores in the NFL. And then it's all led by that Steeler defense with the likes of TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward, Bud Dupuis. And the list really goes on and on that defense to the amount of stud players that they have on that side of the ball. And the Eagles, I mean, yes, they are talented. I mean, you have Carson Wentz, probably a top five, top 10 quarterback in the league. You have a really star sensational running back in Miles Sanders. And then the defensive side of the ball, they probably have one of the best, if not the best front four in the NFL. And they are led by, of course, Fletcher Cox. They got former Steelers defensive tackle Javion Hargrave, which they went out and got him in free agency this offseason. But outside of Carson Wentz, Miles Sanders, and that defensive front four, nothing on that team threatens you. Even with a healthy Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, I mean, Jackson's nearing the end of his playing career. He's not what he used to be. Alshon Jeffrey, in my opinion, was always overrated. And then they're secondary. I mean, they're nothing to, you know, get all worked up about. I mean, they're in the bottom 10 in every defensive passing category in the NFL. Their offensive line, even when healthy, they're always letting Carson Wentz get hit and sacked and everything, which has caused him numerous numerous injuries over his playing career so far. So, I mean, they're just not a scary team where you're intimidated going into that matchup. And, you know, normally I would say this would be a trap game for the Steelers. You know, they always play, seem to play down their competition with a Mike Tomlin-led team, which I've gone over numerous times on this show. But... This shouldn't, and I don't think will be a competitive matchup because my keys uh, for a Steelers victory this week is just three simple things. The first thing is the Steelers have got to establish the run. If they can do that like they get against the Giants in week one and the Texans in week three, they should have no problems on offense because if you make that Eagles front four have to respect the run on a consistent basis, it prevents them from doing what they do best and that is getting after the quarterback. So that helps Big Ben out. Establishing the run opens up the play-action game as well. It just it helps your offense so much when you have a reliable run game. And if they can do that against this Eagles defense, and specifically this Eagles front four, that'll go a long way in sealing a victory. The second key I have, which kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the first one, is not to get in any third and long situations. If you get into a third and nine, a third and 10 or more situation, that just pins the ears on those Eagles uh, front four to just go all in on sacking Big Ben. So if they can get into third and shorts, third and mediums, it prevents that Eagles front four from just flat out rushing the quarterback. And it makes them respect you know, a possible run play or a screen or whatever have you. So if they can get into those third and manageable situations and not let those Eagles rushers pin their ears back and go all out on sacking Big Ben, that'll do the Steelers wonders in coming out 4-0. The last key to the game to ensure a Steelers win in my mind 
is that on defense, they have to be able to get to Carson Wentz to force him to make turnovers. So far this year, he's proven with an unproven offensive line with so many backups having to replace starters and everything. He is just getting rushed out the ass. I mean, it seems like he is always dropping back and there's somebody in his face. He's constantly getting hit. He's having to run around and scramble for his life back in the pocket. And then there goes the turnovers. You know, he forces the ball when he shouldn't to. He throws an interception. And then he might hold on the ball too long. And you get a strip sack. And that that's a turnover as well. So I think if the Steelers, they can just continue what they've been doing all year. That's getting pressure on the quarterback. They shouldn't have a problem, especially if this beat-up offensive line, to get after Carson Wentz and to make him make some questionable decisions and turn the ball over. And that will just turn into short fields for the Steelers' offense to potentially put some points on the board. Now, the only way I think the Steelers end up losing this game is if that Eagles defensive front gets after Ben Roethlisberger and makes him turn the ball over and give the Eagles' offense short fields. You know, the, that Eagles uh, defensive line is going to have to win their matchups play after play after play. Uh, I mean, that will be that's the only chance, in my mind, that the Eagles have of even sniffing out a win. You know, they're going to have to generate a lot of turnovers, um, have their offense work of short fields, and then converting those short fields into touchdowns. Because more often than not, you're, you're not going to score touchdowns against the Steelers offense driving from your own 20-yard line. So they're going to have to be short fields. That front four is going to have to dominate uh, for the Eagles. And that's the only way that they even have a chance at beating the Steelers. But I don't think that's going to happen, guys. I mean, this Steelers offensive line is too good. They're not going to get pushed around at the line of scrimmage more often than not against any defensive front. And I believe with the Steelers' unscheduled bye week this week, you know they got some really good practice in. They were uh, allowed to rest some guys as well, some veterans. They didn't have to practice early in the week. I believe they're well-rested and well-focused, and I really do believe that they put their first complete 60-minute game of the 2020 season into the books by beating the Eagles by a score of 33-14. to So if I were a betting man, I would not bet the Eagles to cover the spread in this game. I just don't think it's going to happen, and that the Steelers will approve to 5-0 and while the Eagles will go to 1-3-1 and still more than likely be leading the NFC East. So staying within the topic of Pittsburgh sports, the NHL just concluded their 2020 NHL draft this past week. And before the draft started, the Pittsburgh Penguins traded two-time Stanley Cup winner Matt Murray to the Ottawa Senators. And I know within the realm of you know Pittsburgh Penguin fans within the area, they're always talking crap on Matt Murray and how he's a washed up goalie and everything. He hasn't looked the same for the past couple years or so. But I tell you what, Matt Murray, he is not the reason why the Penguins have been struggling the past couple years with you know first round playoff losses and then losing to the Habs in the qualifying round for the playoffs uh, this past summer. And, you know, I know a lot of people say that this past playoff series or qualifying series with the Habs is what sealed Matt Murray's fate with the team. Matt Murray wasn't the reason why the Penguins lost to the Habs. I actually just this past week looked over the highlights of that series and all the goals that the Canadians scored against Murray. And out of all the goals he let up, only two were softies and ones that he really should have had. 
All the other goals were not on his fault whatsoever. I mean, I don't know how many times where Matt Murray was scored on due to a rebound. I mean, he would make the initial save. More often than not, it was a really good save. And the Penguins defense would, would not clear out the puck. They wouldn't get out of the zone. Or they would allow a, a Canadian's forward to just go by them and pick up the rebound and score. And then the second one is that where did the Penguins goal scorers go? I mean, Malkin, I don't think he had a goal and only a few assists. The same with Latang And Crosby looked like the only forward that even showed up in that series. Where it looked like he was giving 100% um, effort on every shift. You know, he was just doing Crosby things out in the ice. He was Crosby being Crosby. But other than that, no one else in that team showed up but him and Matt Murray, if you ask me. So I don't get all all this negative feedback on Murray and how he's just as trash goalie anymore. I mean, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He got you to the promised land twice, just in the past five years alone. I don't think Matt Murray's the fault in Pittsburgh. I think it has to do with all the other players within that roster. Um, you know, you have your core essentially is getting much older. You have Crosby Malkin in their mid thirties. You have Latang; he's in his thirties as well. You just traded Patrick Hornquist, where you know I feel like that was a good trade in my book because he was getting older and he wasn't putting up the same production that he did five or six years ago when he first came on with the Penguins back during their Stanley Cup runs. So I think it's a team that's just getting older. They're losing a bit of speed, losing a bit of skill. And, I mean, it doesn't help when you have players like Gensel and Latang and, you know, even Malkin to an extent constantly injured uh, th uh, throughout the past couple of years. So, like, I just think they're an organization that their core players are at past their prime. They're getting older. I think they're going to start a little bit of a uh, reset, a little bit of a rebuild in the next couple of years. But Matt Murray isn't the reason why the Penguins have been suffering the past couple of years. He's far from it. So I think it was a stupid move all along for the Penguins to even consider trading him and then actually doing it. I don't understand it. Um, you know, Tristan Jari, you know, everyone likes to rave on him. I don't think he's played more than 40 games in one regular season. Um, that game against the Habs was his first ever playoff start, technically. So uh, he's an unproven goalie. And are you really going to go with him over a proven goalie like Matt Murray? So if you ask me, I think the Penguins made the wrong move on this. I think they're going to regret it in years to come as Tristan Jari starts to prove himself. And I don't think he's the guy that can get you to Stanley Cups where Matt Murray proved that he did. So like I just said, time will tell on this trade. But I think the Penguins definitely uh, lost this trade without a doubt. Well, hold on a second, guys. I just checked on my phone here and breaking news in the NFL. So the Kansas City, I'm sorry, excuse me, the New England Patriot versus Denver game is moved to this coming Monday, while the Bills-Titans game will be moved on Tuesday night. And then since the Bills already have a scheduled game on Thursday night, this next Thursday coming up, that, that game will be moved to the following Sunday. But I actually like that move. You know, putting the Bills-Titans game on Tuesday and then postponing their Thursday night game and move it to the following Sunday. Because personally for me, I don't like Thursday night football. I mean, I loved it back in the day whenever they had division rivals go on. It seemed like every Thursday night, you know, you had Steelers-Ravens on Thursday night. You had, you know, Bills-Patriots to where I know it was a lopsided matchup. 
But both teams always played hard against each other and everything. Uh, you always had like Packers Vikings on there or, pa- or Packers Bears. You had some really good games back in the day on Thursday Night Football. Now it just seems like they play a couple uh, scrub teams uh, together. Like last week when you had the Jets and Denver playing on Thursday Night Football. I mean, who in the hell, unless you're a Jets or Denver fan, want to watch that game? I know I sure in hell did if it wasn't for my fantasy league. And, you know, I had Jerry Judy on my freaking bench and he goes out and scores a touchdown. Go freaking figure. But, I mean, it's those types of games where it seems like they're always on Thursday Night Football and there's not any marquee matchups that happen. So, I'm not really that upset or sad at all to see that um, Thursday Night game get moved to Sunday. Because, more than likely, it wasn't going to be a good game. It's just, I don't know, I think the NFL should just do away with Thursday Night Football if they're going to put all these crap matchups in there. Um, You know, just, just do away with it. And get rid of that very short week for teams to prepare and to practice for Thursday night uh, football. So just get rid of that if you ask me altogether because, you know, I would say the majority of fans like myself, unless their team is playing Thursday night football, they're not going to watch. They have better things to do and everything to watch the freaking Jets and uh, Broncos play or like the week before when they had the Dolphins and Jags play. Like, who now wants to watch that matchup? Not me. I'd rather watch something else. Like, I don't know, playoff baseball. Like the Yankees are playing right now against the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, I know I made my case last week as to why the Yankees are legit World Series contenders, but I guess I forgot they played the Rays, who just happened to dominate them during the regular season. And besides for Game 1 of this series, they've looked like the same team that owned the Yankees throughout this whole season this year. And you know, it's always the same thing for the Yankees when they lose. It's one, their starting pitcher gives up multiple runs in the first two innings, the Yankees batting order, they're constantly and consistently striking out time after time again. They fail to bring runners in from scoring position because they're not putting the ball into play and always striking out. And that's honestly the trade-off with the way this roster is built right now. And the way the roster is built is that, you know, their starting pitching staff, if you can just get this bullpen to within um, inning five or six, you have a good chance of winning. But half the time, unless you're Garrett Cole on the mound, their starters have a hard time going uh, four or five innings and letting their tremendous bullpen take over from there with the likes of Chad Green, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman. And then as far as um, their hitting is concerned, like I said last week, unless they're hitting um, home runs over the fence and everything, they just strike out. You know, They don't consistently put the ball into the field. They're always whiffing on pitches. They're swinging for the fences even on two and o, uh, on 0-2 counts, which is just it's breaking the cardinal rule of baseball, where if you have two strikes on you, you just want to try to put it in play. You know, you shorten up that swing, you choke your hands up, and you take it the other way. You know, that's been the cardinal rule of baseball for God knows how long. But if it seems like if you're a Yankee, it's even with two strikes on you, you're still trying to swing as hard as you can and hit it out, hit it out of the ballpark. And that's not a recipe for success in the playoffs. You know, it all starts with good starting pitching in the playoffs, which the Yankees really don't have outside of Garrett Cole. And then as far as offense goes, they just don't put the ball in play enough. You know, they're constantly leaving runners on when they do get on. And unless they're hitting a solo shot or anything, they're not going to score runs because they just have a really bad strikeout uh, ratio. And they only have one player that can consistently get base hits and get on base. And that's their leadoff guy, DJ LeMayhew. You know, I read about him on my show uh, last week 
about how he's the only guy that can, you know, hit for average and still score in runs and RBIs and all that stuff. He's just a complete player. Well, he's the only complete player on this roster. I mean, for as good as Aaron Judge is and everything, I'd rather only see him hit 20 to 25 home runs a year if that means he'll have over a 320, 330 batting average. You know, I'll take that player 10 times out of 10 over a player like Giancarlo Stanton or Gary Sanchez or even an Aaron Judge, where unless they're hitting the ball out of the ballpark, you know, they're striking out. And like I said, that's not the recipe for success in the playoffs. And year after year after year, us Yankee fans have have to deal with that, you know, with such a dominant team on paper and statistically wise. And yes, they are going to be dominant in the regular season as well. They're going in a full 162-game season you know, seven times out of 10, eight times out of 10, they're winning over 100 ball games. That's how talented uh, this Yankee team is. But when you play the best of the best, um, you know, in your conference, in your league, every year in the playoffs, you're going to see the best starting pitching. You're going to see the best ball pens. You're going to see the best closers out there. And you're going to see the best defenses out there as well, making plays in the field to where you can't live and die by that sort of literally hitting a home run or striking out. That's just not good success um, for the postseason in baseball. And, you know, just time after time again, we see the same thing happen to the Yankees. But hey, what do I know? The Yankees are up 2-1 to one right now in the third inning, and I could be praising them this time next week as well. But in all fairness, though, as good as the Yankees are, they I don't think that they are structured right to be World Series contenders on a consistent basis to where if they can't stay hot, they don't have the right players to just get contact hits and to hit for just base hits and stuff consistently enough to bring in runs in tight scoring ball games. Now, if they get hot and if they get the right players being hot at the right times, oh, for sure, this Yankee squad, they can beat anybody on any day and can easily win the world series like they could easily just win this game today against the rays if aaron judge and stanton and glaber torres and those guys get hot at the right time and everything like that i mean the sky's the limit if the yankees can get the right people hot but it takes a lot for that to happen and it you know there's a lot of luck involved in that too when you have really streaky hitters like the yankees have um except for dj obviously who's just consistent game after game after game. So if the Yankees get hot, you know, they can go to the World Series and win it for sure. I just don't think the way they're structured with this roster right now that they can do it consistently due to the way that they play. Now, we won't know until later tonight whether the Yankee season will end or not, but I think that wraps up an end to this episode of Montreal Madness. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Make sure to like my pages on Facebook and on Twitter at Montreal Madness. And make sure to tune in to next week's episode as we will go over my favorite time of the year in the NHL, which is free agent frenzy period, which that will start tomorrow afternoon at noon. So until next week, hope you guys have a great weekend. And this is Tony Montreal signing off. Montreal Men.